Good evening, Nam, and happy Monday. It's Hailey Minogue. You guys been watching the new Money Heist on Netflix lately? Ooh-wee! If you've been looking for something to sink your teeth into with all this spare time, then si es absolutamente increíble, me gusta mucho. Thanks for tuning in to Spinning Around tonight, this Monday. Of course, before we begin, we acknowledge that we are broadcasting on the land of its traditional custodians, the Wurundjeri people. We respect their past, present, and ongoing relationship with the land for the many, many, many generations to come. I know we can't print our money, or pull off an incredible bank heist with the aid of El Profesor. But if you've got dinero en tu banco y si queda inactivo, then por favor, consider making a donation to pay the rent or the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service and help the wonderful folks that provide the much-needed resources for the mob today. My first guest tonight needs little introduction for fans of excellent local radio. As the host of FBI Tuesday mornings and mother of club night and radio show Athletica on Nomad Radio, this DJ and underground music pusher has been a very joyous part of the dance scene since her beginnings in 2017. In her own words, LMAO, 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 ha 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 ha, F-D-S-K-L-A-F-K, if Delta hadn't fucked us, she would have been playing Bizarro's Pandemonium alongside Jensen Interceptor, P-Twigs, Moopy and Crescendo, and Athletica's Crunch event would have happened as well, featuring DJ PGZ, Ayo Batonier, Chanel DJ, Johnny Liu, and more. If those names weren't enough to tell you, it's safe to say that this bubbly, warring sprite knows exactly where in the scene the magic is. My guest is none other than Louisa Thurn, aka Isa. Hi. Hey, Isa, welcome to the show. How are you going? Hi. Um, up the top, I also want to acknowledge that I'm recording right now on stolen Camaragal land. Um, unfortunately, uh, there are no Camaragal people living today, but I do still want to pay re- my respects to elders past um, and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. And this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. There's equivalent pay the rent projects up here in New South Wales as well. Clicks all around. Clicks all around. Thank you very much for that. Appreciate it. All good. All good. Now that we have... Uh, essentially you on this show which is a very interesting crossover um <laughs> you are also um a presenter on uh fm radio on fbi yes. on tuesday mornings yes. um i do want to ask you just generally straight off the bat how have you been how's things been going oh, so sydney <laughs> <laughs> so sydney has been in lockdown now for three months i just had my um anniversary with my partner yesterday which was really cool to have after three months of lockdown um excellent fbi at the moment is 100 percent pre-record which has been a bit of a a bit of an adjustment but you know overall overall i'm really really lucky i'm way luckier than a lot of people mm-hmm. in sydney especially a lot of people in western sydney who are facing um really harsh restrictions and like entirely based on the area that they're in the a poorer area that they're in so i'm in the grand scheme of things, fine, but I am personally <laughs> just personally. I'm like uh, on the grand scheme of things, a a okay, a okay. Look, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm fine. I, I'm fine. I mean, I think I'm that's fine. very that's very mature and wise of you to uh, think about things in the grand scheme. Um, but it doesn't necessarily <laughs> defeat the fact that you aren't feeling a hundred percent. And no one's expecting you to feel 100%, right? I simply don't want to be in here anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to be. I would much rather be outside. 
and with lots of people. Mm. I can't do that right now, and that's okay. It'll happen eventually, but I, I miss it. Well, let's, it. T- let's talk about happy things. Let's talk about happy Please. things. Please. What did you do for the first anniversary? Uh, with, with Sweet Jamie, a Sweet Angel. Sweet we Angel. Simply, I th- what did I do? Oh, I had, like, an interview yesterday that's going to go live to FBI soon. I talked to Tommy Genesis, which was really, really cool. Ooh. Happened on my anniversary. But yeah, we just got like fancy pizza and then went and like sat in the car and like pretended that we were somewhere else for a while and then came <laughs> back. We watched The Godfather. Oh, <laughs> like, wow. Nice. Yeah. And like, I don't know. We just, we had a cute night. He's a very good egg who I love very much. So it was, it was sweet. But yeah, it was, it was nice. Oh, excellent. As nice, as nice as a lockdown anniversary can be. It, well, actually speaking about FBI as well, mm. on that topic where you were saying that uh, everything is pre-recorded now Mm -hmm. does that make things easier or harder for you um so it's definitely harder because when you're live to air and like as i'm sure you know making radio it's like a lot of effort to record things ahead of time splice it all together yeah it's yeah and you do such great work and you do it so consistently it's really impressive um but yeah it's it takes a lot more time to drag songs into editing equipment and then record something, then bounce it from your phone to your laptop and drag it in and make sure it's all then just like hitting a few buttons in the studio and going straight live to air. So it is a lot more effort. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've done it just to keep everyone safe. And also because like cases got up to like a thousand a day or so here and we wanted to make sure everyone was safe. And also because there are a lot of people who are in LGAs are a lot more locked down than others. So we wanted to make sure that all the volunteers had the same experience and people weren't being treated differently because of where they were living. Mm. So it's not as easy, but you know, it has its, it has its perks. I can edit. That's a nice thing. I can edit what I say. <laughs> if I say something stupid, I can just be like, <laughs> delete. How long have you been doing this radio thing now? You've been doing this for like three-ish years now? Oh, it's been a while. So I started um, So I started at FBI. FBI was like the first music thing I properly did. So I started off, I like was kind of introduced to the whole scene, I guess, in like 2016. Mm. And then in late 2016, early 2017, I was like, oh, I want to be a part of it. So I joined FBI, but I only became a presenter, I think, in 2018. Okay. And that was on the all-nighter. So FBI has um, all-nighter shifts, like graveyard shifts that every new presenter will have to do. And it goes from 1 to 6 in the morning. Oh, oh and, my God. Yeah. yeah. And, like, I think there might be some changes to that in the future where people who, like, work full-time and stuff like that can have the opportunity to pre-record. But at the time that I was doing all-nighters, you had to be in there, you had to be live. And sometimes you would get the full five-hour shift. <laughs> so <laughs> oh, so I, I did some pretty loopy stuff on that. So I was doing that like on and off for quite a few years. And then finally at the end of um at the end of 2020, I got hit up by oh my god, who hit me up? Was it I can't remember if it was a, it was Amelia, our old program director, or Tanya, our current program director, who just hit me up and was like, hey, do you want a show? And oh. I was like, oh. <laughs> me? <laughs> <laughs> me? <laughs> me? After like two and a half years of, or like three years or whatever of doing graveyard shifts, I was like, oh my God, I can actually be on the grid at this point. Wow. Um, and yeah, so then I moved on to Sunday lunch, which was uh, – two hours from 12 till two on Sundays, which was really cute. Mm -hmm. And then I got the call to ask if I wanted to do mornings, which is huge. And like, honestly, I was really nervous when I first got the call because I'm not, I'm not a morning person. (laughs) 
And <laughs> I know that's insane because the show is literally at like 9 a.m. And that's like a normal time for most people to be awake. But I have been a nocturnal creature my whole life. Oh, dear. And I continue to be one. <laughs> so it, it was definitely an adjustment. But I, I love it. I love being on radio. I, I love chatting shit. Was that? Did I answer your question? I don't even know. Well, I mean, I, I actually hadn't asked a question. But... Um, oh my I, God. I do love the fact that <laughs> that you gave me no. your entire career no. um, in one go. I do appreciate it. Oh, so it it's a very interesting That's career. That's I fine. mean, thanks. You, you were doing the graveyard shift for two years. I love years. talking about myself. Apparently, go on. I mean, please. if you're a nocturnal, right? Why would they put mm. you on mornings? Why wouldn't they just keep you on graveyard? You seem to like um, it, right? Well, as you've probably noticed, I'm really peppy. <laughs> I'm, I'm a very bubbly person. And I also did a few covers of um, the sort of breakfast show on FBI, which is up for it. Ah. Um, and I did two weeks of covers on that and it went quite well. And I, I just, I, I do have a lot of energy and I think that's a nice thing to have when you're like getting people up and ready for the day, as opposed to an afternoon, which might be a bit more cruisy. I'm just like, hey, everyone. Have the oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that's exactly so, what someone wants in the morning, right? Yeah, I guess so. Was that particular peppy attitude and personality not as welcome during the graveyard shift? <laughs> See, I think you'd be surprised. I think like sometimes, see, sometimes I would just be completely exhausted but also sometimes I would be as peppy. I don't know. Cause you know, when you just break through that like second wall of tiredness yep. and you're like, I'm invincible. Yep. <laughs> I'm never going <laughs> to die. I could punch God in the face and live. <laughs> and I would kind of like, just get to that point at maybe like three in the morning or something. And I would just be a God. Can I swear? Of course you can. I'd be a fucking menace. And sometimes people would appreciate it in texting because there'd be people on night shifts or people like who can't sleep, who have insomnia or like people tuning in for all different reasons who like kind of expect the person to, to just be like really exhausted. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, hey, this is cool. How are you going? I'm like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So you were saying that you've always been like this peppy. Throughout your life? Um, well, I lived for a very long time with very severe undiagnosed ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> like how long? Which which I kind of just assumed was me being a Sagittarius. So it wasn't. You misdiagnosed ADHD as your star sign. Yeah. It's like a big thing. I think about it a lot. Um, yeah, I've always like had a lot of energy and like I've always been quite a big personality i guess <laughs> and um that's that's been a good thing and a bad thing in many different contexts okay the thing is the thing that i think i learned at one point maybe in high school was that like i'm just kind of like this i just am the way i am and like there's there's just no change in it wow. i'm just i'm just like this and if people don't like it unfortunately there's really nothing i can do do you get tired like, I mean, because... Oh, my God, got, all the time. Yeah, if you've got a lot of energy all the time and you're See, spending it a lot, you know? Also, I think I think I am very peppy right now because I am kind of reaching that second level of tiredness where you're like, I could punch God because I've had, like, <laughs> a really big two weeks. Like, I started a job and, like, a lot of other things have been quite exhausting. So I am kind of reaching that second level of tiredness. So maybe if you talk to me, like, normally IRL, I would just be, like, a completely stable and regular human being. But right now I'm just, like... I think I can see, I can, I can see the other side, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I get, I get tired all the time. I get really exhausted actually. Sometimes I, um, cause I don't know, I don't 
tend to imbibe a lot, which is the most nerdy way I could have possibly said that. What do you mean by that? As in like when I'm in the club and stuff, mm. I can get quite tired if I'm not in the right headspace mm. and just like hit a big wall because I don't necessarily do like a lot of drugs mm. or drink that much, which is like a personal thing. It's not because I don't like it. It's just because I, I don't know, my brain's kind of fragile. Yeah. Um, which means I can kind of hit a wall. Okay. I'm just talking at you. Can you please interject? No, no, that's that, that's totally fine. No, I I, I yeah. am much more the kind of person that uh, if you seem like you have a lot of thoughts, I really like to just see where it goes. I have so many thoughts. I know. Please direct Let's, let's actually talk a little bit about um, the FBI stuff because please. you said that you started a new job, right? Mm-hmm. And so I feel as though that if you were doing FBI live on air, instead of doing it pre-recorded like you're doing now, mm. you probably wouldn't have had the time to actually pick up another job, right? Or is it something that you could have done? Um, so it is something I could have done. Luckily, with this particular job, I can kind of move things around. It can be quite difficult if people have, like, full-time weekday jobs that don't have much flexibility in them. So you mm-hmm. kind of do need to be able to have some flexibility in your day. So I was lucky enough to be able to, like, before we moved to pre-records, like, talk to this job and be like, hey, I can't work on Tuesdays or, like, I can only do a half day on Tuesdays because I'm working at another at this radio thing from 9 till 12. And, yeah, most, like, job kind of things I've done. I mean, I've worked as a freelancer for – the past like four years or so what do you do i've just been like because for a really long time i was just living at home and doing uni i didn't need tons of money um so i could just live off djing and bars and pubs Mm. like honestly like almost all of the gigs i've done since i started djing have been like money gigs and i am really happy about that because i do think that it's made me it's forced me in a way to be really tight with how I mix. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah. taught me a lot. It's taught me a lot about reading a dance floor. Oh, yeah. It taught me a lot about, like, keeping things fresh for people who might not want to keep dancing unless you make them and, like, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so, very short attention spans on the money jobs, I feel. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you'd, you'd know the beat. But, um, yeah, it's – you do need – require some kind of flexibility. That's – I think that's something that's kind of difficult with something like community radio is that it kind of always requires – you to organize your life around it in some kind of way. Yeah. And especially when it's not being paid, it can that can definitely be a barrier to entry for some people. Question, you were saying that FBI was your very first, like, entry into the music industry. Yes. But you were also saying that you were DJing a lot, um, you know, sort of in your free time just to make some money on the side. Mm. What drew you to FBI in the first place? I mean, were you interested in music all the time or? So... The thing that drew me to FBI is, like, I was sort of introduced to Sydney's creative scene and I kind of had this, like, huge thunderbolt moment of, like, oh, my God, this, these are the people I want to be around. This is the sort of, like, world I want to be in. I need to – like, this is – I found it. This is the place. This is the place <laughs> for me. Um, and from where I was kind of standing and from, like, what little information I really had, FBI seemed at the center of all of the things I liked. Mm-hmm. So like FBI would sponsor events that I was going to or they would or the people who were throwing the parties I liked would have shows on FBI or like presenters would also be DJs that I really liked or I would listen and I would find new music and like it all very much seemed to be like the hub of the world that I was interested in. Oh yeah. And like I came into it being like, okay, 
like I want to be part of this world. I I want to do like do I want to do writing? Do I want to do this? Do I want to do that? Oh, I want to be a DJ. <laughs> I'm gonna go to FBI radio. And like knowing more about like the Sydney music world now, I know that there are lots of like those little hubs like that. There's also like Radio Skid Row, uh, which does incredible work. There's Query Radio. There's like Two SER. Mm-hmm. And all that kind of stuff. But from where I was standing at that point, FBI seemed like all roads led to it. And I was like, if I want to do anything in Sydney, I need to go there. Does that mean that you foresee the Tuesday morning gig as being something that you're going to be able to stick around in for a while? Because honestly, I'm kind of new to radio. I don't really know a lot about things like longevity. I also don't know what's normal yeah what have you found to be normal i think that's a really interesting question i think it varies really wildly between stations and even between like the types of slots so i'm doing mornings now and if nothing really comes in the way of it i kind of expect to be doing it at least for a few years Mm -hmm. um with fbi i think with a community radio station that is really youth focused I think it is always really important to at least have some turnover in the main slots, like mornings, arvos, that kind of thing, because the people in those slots need to represent the people who are listening. Yeah. And that means young people and people who are like representative of the listener demographic and all that kind of stuff. So we do have some people at FBI who have been there for yonkers. <laughs> There's a guy, the guy after me, Stuart Cooper, who does Wildcard, has been there since the show, since the station opened in, 20, wow. in 2003. <laughs> yeah, he is a veteran. Whoa. But I think he's he's definitely an outlier. I think people in community radio normally stick around mainly for like, I think I think around about like, a decade is like the upper limit of what I've seen, but it's more usually more around like three to five years. Because mm-hmm. also like we're all volunteers, like we're not really getting paid to stay. And, <laughs> and sometimes like especially at FBI, you might move up into Triple J or you might move into some other area where you're actually getting money for the work that you put in. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I do think like I do believe that if it's a youth station – and if you want to, like, represent the culture, there does need to be turnover. Pause. I know <laughs> that you. we could be talking about community radio and just how um, insanely good it is. Uh, mm. And also just how unlucrative it <laughs> is as well for, for the Yeehaw. people that engage in it. Yeah. However, mm. you said the name that is very much uh, of the same character as Voldemort in the scene at the moment. Um, they they kicked it. They kicked a beehive. I feel really. I feel almost bad. <laughs> Let's talk about Triple J. Yeah. Let's talk about Triple J. Mm. We all know that a tweet came out quite recently uh, where they. Uh, I'm going to try and paraphrase this as best as I can. It's fucking like ten words. I should be able to remember this. Yeah, but- I think it was. I think I think I remember exactly what it was. It was. Did it hurt? Did it hurt when you raged, aged out of um, the youth station? Did it hurt when you aged out of the youth radio station? Okay. Yeah. So, uh. this caused a lot of controversy in two different ways. Yes. The first one, the first one was that it pissed off its uh, what some might perceive to be its past audience base, mm. considerably the people that have grown up with it between, like, let's say. 
uh, I want to say like 2010 to like 2019, potentially. Yeah, the aging um, millennials. Yes, the aging millennials. <laughs> um, and it also pissed and off. Gen- uh, or f- uh, femme uh, individuals that identify as femme in the industry as artists as mm. well, because yes. often age is such a huge factor when it comes to particularly uh, femme artists. Female talent. Yes. Yeah, God, yeah. Huge thing. So they've pissed off two groups. <laughs> <laughs> very, very artfully. Also, it's no secret about this. I also came out with a bit of a response to it on my own uh, account as well, mm. essentially stating that, their business model is flawed. Mm. Um, I don't necessarily agree with what they said or what they're doing with their funding um, mm. and that it's essentially a waste of money uh, that could be going <laughs> towards other really good things. Mm. Um, so, Would you like my opinions? I would love oh, your opinions. Regarding the tweet itself, I'm going to ha- have a hot take here and say that I think the person who wrote this tweet was thinking about those guys or like those people, I guess, who text him being like, oh, this isn't the music they were playing in my day. This is shit. (laughs) Why are you playing rap? This sucks. Like they were targeting those people. Mm -hmm. And I think it was thoughtless. I think it was a careless tweet, but I don't actually think that they considered (laughs) the people on Twitter that like the people that are on Twitter are like industry people. Like Twitter is very much like a, it's like industry people and people with opinions, which are like, (laughs) (laughs) so they didn't really think about the audience. So I don't actually think the tweet itself was that bad. I, I, I think it was in poor taste, but I don't think it was like a great evil. But I do think that right now, especially like in Australia, so-called Australia, mm-hmm. artists are feeling a huge squeeze, they're feeling a huge amount of pressure and stress, and there's been, understandably, a lot of frustration building up at Triple J for ages. <laughs> like, like, Wait, Triple do you J, mean internally or externally? Like, I can't speak for within Triple J, but, like, I think externally, like, as long as a radio station has needed to pick who does and doesn't, get on their playlist there's been people being like why aren't I on your playlist (laughs) so and like for good reason as well in many cases for really good reason so I do I do think that it was like a spark that started a fire that they didn't really know how to deal with I don't think they wanted to deal with it really I didn't see any sort of response at all (sighs) except for maybe the one from the Double J presenter to I think it was Jack Colwell yeah he he also had some particular tweets um that caught the attention of even APRA yeah um they wanted to get his consultation on that look I'm not gonna pretend like I'm an expert in the Australian like independent like government radio scene but I think like I think what I'm hoping, what I'm really hoping for is that they made that tweet, they realized they fucked up in a big way and they didn't want to just address it purely in a tweet and they wanted to like make some actual changes or what I'm worried has happened is that they made that and they're like, oh, it's just a tweet, it'll blow over and nothing's really going to change. I think I'm in two minds about Triple J as an institution because on one hand, I do think that it speaks to people in or maybe I assume this is like what I've observed for like friends that don't live in like urban centers. Yeah, please. Like it has been an introduction and entryway and entry point into 
like more niche music for a lot of people who aren't necessarily around like those organic communities. Mm-hmm. So like people who live in Newcastle, people who live like um, in like Orange or like <laughs> all of those kind of places where like because it's a national station, you can tune in and you can listen to mixes from people from all over the world and you can hear like um, alternative music. I mean, people will get on their soapbox and be like, this is an alternative music. <laughs> So I do think it really does serve its purpose as being like a like an entry point for many, many, many people. But yeah, on the other hand, I do think that like I think I remember I think it was I can't I can't remember who said it, so I'm not gonna attribute it to it, but I didn't say this, but someone else did, which is like if there was like a top 100 the whole thing about like the hottest 100 is always full of like the same white dude bands Mm -hmm. like if triple like triple j can change its programming at will like they don't just like they can platform artists that aren't just the same type of people over and over again so that is where i think they're falling down and i do think that it is their responsibility in a huge way to make like big big structural changes that actually mean that they can serve all of the people that are listening, not just like the sort of like 30 something white dudes who, <laughs> who like, who don't want to hear ladies or whatever. I don't know. No, I, I, I'd agree with you. I, I, think- I think throwing out Triple J entirely is a bit like throwing out the baby with the bathwater. But yeah. I do think that if they really want to move forward culture in Australia properly, lots has to change. Well, that's that's the most interesting thing. I think you really touched on that in a beautiful way, that, like, they have all of this power. Yeah. People look at Triple J as the literal, um, how do I say this? It's like the funnel into mm. um, Australian music industry success or music industry commercial sort of exposure. Yeah. yeah. They don't have to necessarily reflect the tastes of um, a particular audience or a particular uh country's audience they actually have the power to shape tastes yeah and i think that's where things can get like really difficult i think like because australia in the grand scheme of things is so small like we we have like one huge radio station which is triple j but then you go somewhere like london or somewhere like the u.s and there's like 20 of them Mm-hmm. So yeah, I do think like the concentration of power is like really really hard. Like what other, what other, <laughs> like what other national youth sta- stations do we have on like the FM band? Like maybe I'm once again I'm not an expert expert in this, and I don't have a car, so I don't listen to a lot of radio because <laughs> <laughs> I can't drive. And um, you work for an FM radio station. Wait, why can't you drive? Have you I, not gotten your license? I haven't got my license. It's really embarrassing. Why haven't you gotten your license? I just you know what's really terrible. I've always had a boyfriend who could drive. Oh, my God. <laughs> Be independent. Always, and, You've got this. And and when I haven't or when they don't drive, I've lost my logbook. And wow. I just didn't go and get a new one. Oh, my and God. And I can't drive and it's embarrassing. I tried to. I tried to start learning to drive, but then the pandemic hit. So Miss Verona's fault personally. What are you gonna do? It's what embarrassing. Are, what are you going to do if you're, like, fully single and you need to, I don't know, go oh. to fucking orange? <laughs> Oh, I've been there. I've actually been there. I've needed to carpool. I have needed to carpool with someone or I was going to get the like five hour train. It's stupid. No, it's com- you're completely right. It's ridiculous that I can't drive. Well, I mean, it's it's not but ridiculous. But I can't. 
It's pretty stupid. You live in I'm, the middle of a metropolitan area, I'm assuming. I'm, yeah, no, there is really good public transport in Sydney. I'm, 20, <laughs> I'm 23 and I can't drive. I'm going to be 24 in a few months. Um, it'll happen eventually. That's what I keep telling myself. It'll happen when the time's right, babe. You need to do it before 30. Oh, oh, it'll happen. I'm aiming to know how to drive by the time I'm like 27. Okay, what was that number before (laughs) you turned 23? 27. Just like some, (laughs) shut up. Um, It'll it'll happen. It'll happen, okay? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I I ain't worried about it. What are you, my mom? I, I, listen, your mom (laughs) called me the other day and she said, did she say Jay, she's really disappointed in me that I can't drive? Jay, you need I to know. talk to Isa. She's she's always relying on me for, for cars. It's really, and- it's really bad. I get so many Ubers. <laughs> anyway, anyway, what were we talking about? Let's go back to responsibility <laughs> that, we're, that yes. we were talking about. Because responsibility, not only are we talking about that with Triple J, but I want to talk to you about your own responsibility. Please. In your role as the presenter for Tuesday mornings on FBI Radio, an FM radio station that is listened to by quite a significant number of youths, yes. do you feel like you have a particular sense of responsibility in your own curation? Oh, absolutely. I think anyone who does anything in the public sphere and doesn't think about the responsibility they have to like <laughs> consider these things is like just not doing their job properly. <laughs> true, true. I think I think like well, there's already like expectations just within FBI like baked into the presenting uh, training and all that kind of stuff with the way that you sort of talk about stuff. You want to always gear what you're talking to to your audience, but also like in like I do a mix of the week and the way I program, I always try to make sure that I'm like appropriately representing all of the talent that's out there. That means thinking about how I'm representing Indigenous talent, thinking about how I'm representing Black talent, thinking about how I'm representing talent from women and gender nonconforming people. Um, That's always really important to me, and I keep track of it quite closely. But also I'm very aware that I I think there's some issues with just holding up representation purely as like the golden ticket and like I agree yeah and like once again like this is me repeating stuff that many people color have said before so I'm not I don't want to pass this off as anything that I'm saying out of my own ass but um like as me a, a white wealthy woman I'm still the one who has the power to make those decisions mm-hmm. and I think like ultimately that power still rests in me to make the decision to curate or not curate. And I think that's like, I can be as representative as I possibly can, but because that power is still resting in me, it's not ultimately not going to be radical. So, so I do really, really try to do that, but I'm also aware that I like, I don't want to tune my own horn about it because I know that like that power is to invite or to not invite, I think is the way that Benji Ra put it once, mm-hmm. is still resting in my hands. So I don't want to be like, I'm changing things. It's like you're still a white lady in power, babe. Look, um, let's talk a little bit about Athletica. Because Please. it is a very important part of your particular participation in the music scene. I love it. It's a breath of fresh air from talking about radio all the time. <laughs> let's um, let's talk about this lineup that you had. DJ PGZ. Oh yeah. Oh. Ayabatonye, oh yeah. yeah. Chanel DJ, oh yeah. Johnny Liu, oh yeah. And now you. So that lineup was supposed to happen four days ago. Oh. Uh, it was 
I'm really bummed. <laughs> yeah, it was going to happen a while ago. But, yeah, and before that I've had um, – we had the second birthday, which happened at the start of the year. That was Jane up from Canberra. Nice. Then there was Deepa, uh, nice. Rakish. Oh, yes. Me and Nonchalant, Nonchalant Flowerboy. Hell Flowerboy. Yeah. Sorry, her Instagram name is Nonchalant, and I see it so much that I forget that she's just Flower Boy. <laughs> it's the same as me. Um, I called Georgia Bird Jungle Georgia for ages. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! But yeah, yeah, I, I, I love, I love everyone who plays. If you've ever played in Athletica, please know I'm like kind of obsessed with you a little bit in a nice way. Like it's a chill way, but I just think you're beautiful, and I love you. I love everyone who comes to my parties as well, unless you're a grunk. But in that case, I probably got you to leave. <laughs> um, I'm obsessed with everyone who likes Athletica, so basically. Why, why did you start it? Why did you want to start throwing parties for the people? The thing that introduced me to club music was Sidechains, which was an event that ran in Sydney from, God, when did it start? 2013? 2014 all the way through to 2017. Mm. I was I was there right for the end of Sidechains. Um, and... That was where I heard the kind of music that I play now for the first time. It was like club music. And at the time, like internet, PC, like hyperpop predecessors, PC music type stuff. And it just lit my brain up. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, this is what I've been wanting. I want something. Like the thing that I love about the music that I play and the way that the people I like play this music is that there are so many different ways to dance to it like it's always changing it's always really fast mm. you can basically do anything go crazy go nuts um and that just light lights me up but then sidechains kind of stopped and for a long time and like i'm not saying i did it to replace sidechains but just for a long time there was a really big gap and there was a big gap where a lot of really really talented djs weren't getting bookings i find that really hard to believe in sydney of all well places. just like Sydney kind of moves in waves of things that people are interested in and also because of lockout laws mm. just like a lot of a lot of stuff started floundering and like we lost a lot of venues like it's it's still a huge issue like if you have a venue to play at in Sydney like if you as a booker have like found a venue that will put your party on you hold on to that for dear life because mm -hmm. there are really not many places to like physically throw a party, which is luckily changing. But um, yeah, one of the reasons I started, like, again, I want to shout out like um, Switch was a party that was thrown by Kalimi, uh, Flower Boy, and I think her name was Chris. They were a trio. They threw Switch, was a, which was a few parties that were playing like really, really sick stuff. Nice. Um, and there were a few other things that popped up, but none of it felt like rely not reliable, but like none of them had a longevity. Mm -hmm. So I was seeing all these really, really talented DJs that didn't necessarily play what the sound of Sydney at the time was, who weren't getting booked. I wasn't, I didn't have a place to play the stuff that I really loved. I knew there were people that would really connect with the sound that I loved and I was like, guess I'm going to do it. Um, <laughs> I just wanted a place for everyone to be able to come together. I wanted a place for people to be able to, like, get up and fully express themselves and not feel like they had to, uh, like, quiet themselves down in any kind of way. Yeah. Um, so I dithered for, like, maybe eight months 
and then saved up a bunch of money um, and threw the first Athletica in early 2019. And it was so nice and everyone was so cute and I loved them all so much. And then I just kept doing it. And it's just you, just, just you running the whole thing. I do want to say that I've had a lot of help from friends. Mm-hmm. Like I remember when I first started, um, my friends, Holly and Deeper and Sandra were all really, really supportive. Yeah. I also had a lot of help from Denzel Sterling. who used to run side chains. Nice. Uh, he has absolute angel was like the first person to like, I, I sat him down for like five hours and just picked his brain about everything. <laughs> and then he designed the first poster and like the kind of blueprint for all athletic aesthetics to come. And Sunny Lay as well, my friend from school, <laughs> from high school, who's now like a creative industry friend as well, has done a lot of design work. And like there's been so many people along the way that have really, really helped um, and really stepped up to like help me. But, but, yeah. Yes. To answer your question. Yeah. It's just me. Wow. Wow. <laughs> at the end of the day, at, at the end of the day, um, it's, it's, it's mainly just me. Has it gotten, and I, yeah. yeah, no, you go. No, no, no. Has, has it gotten easier, uh, over the years to run? Um, yes and no. So like, I definitely feel more comfortable with some of the nitty gritty, honestly, especially since finding out I have ADHD because like, it used to be, especially through 2019, because I was doing full-time uni at the time as well, um, especially during that time, I would I struggle a lot with, like, small details, and running a party is all small details. Like, oh, have I, have I checked up that the photographer is going to be there? Have I messaged this? Have I answered that email? Have I sent this? Have I done that? Like, it's all quite disparate things you need to do, but all of them require attention. Yeah. So I would, like... It used to be that I would wake up before a party, like the two weeks before the party in like a literal sweat being like, oh my God, what have I missed? <laughs> like I had to be, I had to be like super hyper vigilant to make sure it would all get done and things would obviously still slip through the cracks. But now it's easier because I'm medicated <laughs> and also, and also cause I have more confidence in myself and it's always scary and it's always a little bit hard, but it's nice that there's more of a community like I'm never gonna be super worried that no one's gonna come like that's not gonna happen anymore but like but like a different set of things show up and I'm like oh god I have new things to be stressed about but yeah let me talk to you about this um ADHD diagnosis like (laughs) at what point did you decide no fuck it this is enough I'm going to go get this diagnosed and sort it out honestly when I started talking to people around me who had ADHD and I was like oh no way (laughs) that sounds like me (laughs) and yeah I don't know I have always like always really struggled with like getting stuff done yeah (laughs) in a timely fashion even when I wanted to I just feel paralyzed and it was probably uni because I always thought that I I just hated high school and that's why I didn't do any work um but turns out I I I couldn't (laughs) I just couldn't do it um yeah, it was like getting into uni and being like, wait, I, but I like this. Why do I, why can I still not do it? Oh. And then being like, oh, oh, why is this so difficult? Like, it doesn't feel like it's supposed to be this hard. That's interesting. So you liked it and yet you still found it really hard to do. Well, yeah. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. So, like, I would, 
like no matter what it was, like I would leave stuff really, really late. And even if I tried to do it, I would sit down and I would like just have this brain fog and it would be nearly impossible to get through without an insane amount of effort. And I was like, this doesn't seem normal. I don't think this is how it's supposed to be. I think if I really actually genuinely want to do something, I should just be able to sit down and do it and not have my brain fuzz out every three seconds. So uh, that and also like every other aspect of my personality kind of pointed <laughs> to the to a, to the possibility that I should look into it. Also, I found a, a book in my mum's drawer, no, her dresser when I was a kid that was like, does my daughter have ADHD? And I was like. <laughs> it's just, she, she knows you better than anyone, apparently. Yeah. Well, she's, I'm pretty sure she's got undiagnosed ADHD, but that's what happens. Everyone gets diagnosed with stuff and then they diagnose their mothers or their fathers <laughs> or whatever. Um, Isa, enough bullshit about this, uh, <laughs> about this Athletica stuff. No, it's not bullshit. Uh, Athletica is it's great. It's great. It's my sweet baby. And also ADHD is also very important. People do get diagnosed. They do. Um, Congratulations. If you have. However. I want to talk to you about being an actual DJ because I'm assuming that you didn't start this until you actually entered uh, FBI at 2017. Um, Or or was it when you actually went to sidechains? Like when, when would you actually get into it? The exact moment I decided I wanted to be a DJ was um, at Frida's RIP. And I was watching Rimbombo and 82E who is, she hosted sunset Saturday sunsets on FBI for ages and she was playing. And this was when like lo-fi house was a big thing and like really jazzy housey stuff was a really big thing. And I was just, I was a freak at the front of the room staring at the decks the whole time, just being like, Oh, Oh, I want to do that thing. (laughs) (laughs) I've decided I want to do that thing. And there was like a whole sort of preamble to that. um, But Ultimately, it was that, like, thunderstruck moment. And that's, again, to tie it back to, like, putting people on, I think it's also really important to have diverse lineups that people can see themselves in. Yeah. Like, because I saw myself in 80, and I was like, oh, hell yeah, I can do that. I can do that. <laughs> like, I think it's from from the perspective of wanting to inspire people to take up stuff themselves i think it's really important to show them examples yeah. <laughs> of people that are doing that thing but yeah it was that and then i blew all of my savings on a controller what'd you get and i got a ddj rx which is a four um a four channel controller that you can plug turntables into. Cause at the time I thought I was going to be a vinyl DJ, which is really funny now. Uh-huh. Really funny. Me playing like two and a half minute YouTube rips being like, ah, thinking <laughs> I'm going to be a goddamn vinyl DJ. Authenticity and YouTube rips don't really go well together. do they? Vinyl's great. Look, I don't, I don't knock it, but it's, it's not for me right now. Yeah. So if anyone hears this in 10 years and I've become a vinyl DJ and you're like, me, me, me. Well, yeah, I was wrong. People, people change. Um, yeah, exactly. people change. Yeah. So I got a DJJ RX. I still use it. I still, it's still the controller that I have all these years later. And I record, have recorded every single mix I've ever done on that controller in my headphones. I don't have monitor speakers. Still, <laughs> even to this day. I don't want to bother anyone. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to make my whole house listen to my music. It used to be that I lived in like this tiny little bedroom with my mom and my grandma, and I didn't want to bother anyone then. And now I live in a little apartment with my with my partner and my friend, and I don't want to bother anyone now. 
I'm just going to do it in my headphones. It's fine. I feel like if there's any situation where you can bother someone, it's when you live with your partner and your friend. Yeah, but but they have stuff to do, you know? Okay. Like, you have stuff to do. And also I do everything at, like, stupid hours of the night because that's how I operate. So That's true. (laughs) So so I've recorded everything in my headphones. But, yeah, um, that's where I kind of started and I just kind of begged anyone who would listen to teach me and spent a lot of time teaching myself and just was determined in a way I've never been determined in my life to do a thing. Really? And any I, Anything? Oh, yeah. Like, I wow. wanted to be a filmmaker when I was in high school, but I just couldn't make any movies, <laughs> which I think was a really big indication that uh, I didn't actually want to be a filmmaker. Sure. And I wanted to write, but I couldn't really write anything. And then I found this thing that I was like, oh, I can do this. So what do you think the common thread is between those three things? I wanted to be creative. I wanted to, like, express myself and be creative in any kind of way. And, like, the thing with filmmaking is that it relies really heavily on other people and their skills, and it also relies on you having a lot of time and a lot of resources. Um, And I don't trust other people. (laughs) Like, like DJing I can do by myself. And then something like writing, like, it's a very slow process and you, it's going to take you a really long time to be good at it. And I didn't really like that either. I wanted to like perform and be an actor, but I don't think I'm particularly great at that. And that again, it relies a lot on other people, but with DJing, I, and I find this when like I teach people as well, you can sit down and within an hour on the decks, you can have something that you're satisfied with. Mm-hmm. Like the learning curve is really like, you can, the, the bar's very low to be happy with something. You can be like, oh my God, it sounded okay. Yeah. And like, it has that aspect of performing, you're up and like interacting with a crowd, but it's not as like vulnerable, I guess, as acting. Like it's not mm. about that. And There's a pair you, of decks between you and the audience, I suppose. Yeah. So like there's that party atmosphere and also it's just like really exciting to do. You can do it in your own time. Like I can pull out my decks at any time, sit down, and have a mix and I will find it really, really fun. Mm. It's just, it was just like this perfect storm of like all the different things that made my creative brain go yay. Mm-hmm. And I was like, cool, I found the thing I can do. And especially like, I don't know if we were talking about ADHD before, like for me to just be able to do something and like really want to do it and just do it, that was really big <laughs> and really <laughs> exciting. And I was like, well, I have to do this now. I'm going to do it. Well, what about what about in terms of the kinds of music that you're playing now? Like, uh, what have you started to get into and how does it differ from what you started out with? The stuff I started out learning from was the stuff that I was hearing at Sidechains, which was like 160 BPM, like nightcore edits of the stupidest shit you've ever heard. And it was so much fun. It was so much fun. I have this really vivid memory of, because I kind of like put my hand up to do anything and everything. And I would go to this record store above the cafe that I worked a bunch and I sort of became like friends with a guy, Josh, um, really, really lovely, uh, had very different tastes to me. And I remember sitting there and I think, oh my God. Okay. There's this guy. I think, I think this is what the conversation was. Brain feeder had just put out something by this guy called Igloo Ghost, who makes this really mm-hmm. crazy maximalist, weird, sometimes like slightly hard to listen to electronic yep electronica. <laughs> like shout out igloo ghost if you're listening yeah igloo ghost incredible artist but definitely not for everyone and they were like really they were ripping into it 
this guy, like him and this this DJ that had come to the store were just kind of like, like brain feeder lost its way. Like, I don't get it. I, I don't know how I feel about this. And I sat down. I was like, oh, I really like it. <laughs> and, like, and then I was like, oh, this is what I've been listening to. And I took this like sick pleasure in like pulling out my phone and going to my SoundCloud lights likes and finding this 160 BPM edit by Tsumitsumu, who is a Japanese DJ and producer and it was this batshit jersey club like insanity that was like just it was just it was just it was internet music yeah and yeah. i played it for them and they were horrified <laughs> <laughs> which i think is hilarious to this day because like yeah they're right if they don't like igloos that's fine but i was like well this is what i'm listening to <laughs> My tastes have shifted, I think, just generally with the way that both with, like, the trends in music, which, like, if anyone says that they don't stick to trends, they're lying. Um, <laughs> they're lying. Both with, like, the trends in music, but also with, as I've learned more about music and about the cultures around music. Like, for example, I had a really big shift when... Leonce and Martin Booty Spoon came to Sydney at the end of 2019, I think. Mm -hmm. And like, to me, house music, for example, was something that had always been used. Or like even, even, okay, house music, but also like the idea of genre to me had always seemed like a kind of um, barrier to be wielded by people who wanted to prove that they knew more than you. Mm -hmm. And like, I think it's definitely used in that way because you can like walk into a room and some like guy with an earring will be like, do you know about this genre? And like, if you don't, you feel stupid and then you don't want to put your hand up to like, I think feeling stupid is something that will absolutely kill anyone who wants kill any kind of creativity. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so I, I definitely thought for a really long time that genre should be disregarded mm. and it shouldn't be thought about because what's more important is the music and not gatekeeping stuff or whatever. And then when Lance and Martin Boothroom, but also unique from New Jersey, the Jersey mm. club queen came to Sydney and talked to us about, I mean, unique, especially to be honest, talk to us about Jersey club culture um, and talk to us about, the dancing about like you've got your MC, you've got your dancers, you've got your DJs and it works together. It's like everyone works together and it's a culture. Like there's a full culture around it. And I had, I realized <laughs> like something that's incredibly obvious, which is that like genre shouldn't be disregarded because if you disregard genre, you can erase the cultures that that music is from. Mm. Mm, and yes. you can you can sort of be like, and that means if you're not talking about what genre something is, that means you might not talk about its originators or the people that have made this music what it is, which are almost always black people, almost always people of color at the very least, brown people mm -hmm. from Latin America or from America or from Africa or from just about anywhere. <laughs> Even like goddamn grime in the in the UK, crime and jungle in the UK is just from like Jamaican immigrants who sped up dance hall. Like, and if you don't talk about all of that sort of stuff, you lose the understanding of where it's from and you lose that connection. So I think what has, and again, 
all of this that I'm seeing has been said better than me. I'm basically repeating what so many <laughs> black artists and artists of color and all kinds of stuff have been saying for years. So again, I don't want to take credit for any of those ideas, but um, I think the thing that sort of changed a lot in my approach to music has been, I don't really disregard genre anymore. Mm -hmm. I try to think about it intentionally. And I think you can still have mixes that are really exciting and really cool and jump all over the place and still have that like respect and reverence. Um, like obviously not self-seriousness, like I don't want to pretend to be like any kind of mastermind, but yeah, I'm, I'm trying to, I have slightly more open ears now, I think. Mm -hmm. And I guess like my music's gotten a bit less internet-y and like, I definitely still love and appreciate it. And I definitely still listen to a lot of it. I think like the definition of internet music for me has changed a little bit. I would agree. And yeah. I, sorry. Yeah. Uh, sorry. That's for you rather, but I, I would agree oh, that the, the, the general definition has sort of changed. Um, I mean, yeah. I suppose LSD XOXO might be an artist that you might be able to consider, like, perhaps once would not have been considered internet music, but now is starting to sort of broach that realm, I think. like That's so funny because that's the exact idea that I had in my head. I think, like, something like that is also quite uniquely queer to me as well, mm. that kind of, like, the jokiness of it and the humour of, like... Tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, the, like, tongue-in-cheek lacking that like self-seriousness that a lot of dance music can have like lcxoxo is going to make a fucking banging track and it's gonna have puja what is this behavior <laughs> it's gonna have that over it and it's gonna sound so good yes. and yeah i think i think like i think it kind of comes back to a lot of things that like we sort of considered internet music like it's a lot of it's queer culture and like black queer culture as well just like having a laugh and like making edits of like pop stuff and like yeah, I don't know. I've been playing a lot more edits recently. That's fun too. <laughs> I don't know. The music, the music's gotten a bit rawer, but I'm really, I'm really excited with where my taste is heading. Well, excellent. I think we'll be able yeah. to have at the very least a little bit of that uh, tonight after this interview as well in this mix that you've gotten here for us. I'm so glad that I actually have had the opportunity to get a chat, chance to chat with you um, tonight. I really have appreciated um us covering so many different topics, especially the things that are really important. And I know that this has been, for the most part, a very serious chat and that you're not ordinarily a very serious person. But, um, I am very happy that we actually, um, at the very least, had the opportunity to see that there is much more than the um, the very bubbly personality that often uh, hosts the Tuesday mornings, or, well, regularly hosts the Tuesday mornings on Every FBI Tuesday Radio. hosts the Tuesday mornings. Exactly. Nine yeah. nine a.m. to twelve p.m. People. I do be having lots of thoughts. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> thoughts are good. People don't tend to ask me about them, so when someone does, I'm like, "Here are all of them." No, that's that's totally fine. Here you go. I think we've been, we've been bro breaching um, broaching rather so many um, interesting topics here, and I do thank you, Isa. Um, I it's very interesting to me that uh, for someone that has had so much trouble uh, focusing on completing any, you know certain particular tasks over her life um <laughs> it's very clear to me that there is such a beautiful genuine hyperfixation that is so healthy and so beautiful um internally for you on music i love i love it all i love it so much it's yeah as i said like i found it and i was like oh this is the thing I found the thing. I found the thing that I love, and I can do this. And I think, and I think music loves you clearly so. because you know, 
um, everybody in the scene um, obviously loves what you do, um, pays attention to everything that you're doing on FBI as well. I, I we, hope so. <laughs> you, you, like I said, you're a very joyous part of the scene, and I do oh. hope that you keep that in mind when you you know go by day by day. That's very that's very sweet to hear. I I do my best. I really I Excellent. I do my best. And I'm trying to learn every day. <laughs> and and heaps of people are coming to Athletica. A lot of people listen to your. I hope so. Thank, thanks every thanks everyone. <laughs> I I do this in my bedroom, so it's nice that you can tune in. Okay, excellent, good. Thanks. Let's head into this sensational spicy mix that you've got prepared for us here right now tonight. You've been listening to Spinning Around with Hailey Minogue on Area Three Thousand, playing Isa right now. 